You are listening to the Boss Business of Surgery Series podcast, episode 20. This is a special three-part episode with a person who I could only describe as the Forrest Gump of medicine. She has been through everything from H1N1, COVID as an ICU physician, a new diagnosis of chronic illness, and a new diagnosis of stage four cancer. Dr. Maura Lip is here to talk to us about how to succeed in life. Welcome surgeons. Residency didn't teach us everything we needed to learn to be a successful surgeon. While we spent our time caring for patients and learning how to operate, we didn't learn how to advocate for ourselves or navigate our career. I'm your host, Dr. Amy Vertries. I'm a general surgeon, certified coach, and founder of the Boss Business of Surgery series. This is where you'll learn those lessons not taught in residency. Tell me a little bit about um, MS and, and your experience with that, because, you know, I think that you, you had a really interesting perspective on that as well. Right. So I, I was diagnosed in 2015 um, after ignoring things for several years. I mean, you know, as medical professionals, that's what we do. I'm like, eh, it's nothing. It'll be fine. You know, it's just a leg. I have another one, you know, that sort of thing. And uh, but I, you know, I developed um, trigeminal neuralgia. And even at first I did not go, be honest, I didn't go. It had started in the spring. It was just a little, you know, numbness. I'm like, Oh, okay. I got trigeminal something, something. And then, you know, I think we're, I did what we all do. We're just programmed to push through work, 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 you know, just tough it out. Um, And then, you know, several months later, you know, as it became painful at that point, I said, okay, this is painful. So like, I got to do something with this. So I went to see one of the neurologists um, that we work with. And, you know, I, I wasn't, I should, looking back, I should have thought this, I should have known this was MS, but when it's yourself, you just don't pick up on things. But I did, you know, say to him, I'm like, Hey, this isn't my first rodeo, by the way. I'm like, I don't know what it means, but I should probably tell you that I've had some, you know, weird paresthesia things before, um, you know, in an episode a couple of years before that, where my left leg went numb, um, the entire left leg. And of course I was like, Oh, maybe it's just my back. Although in the back of my, my mind is like, this is not from my back, but I was like, I'll give it time. If it doesn't get better, I'll, I'll go get treated. Well, it got better after about, you know, six or eight weeks. And so I didn't do anything about it, but I at least thought enough to tell him that. And, uh, you know, as expected, he, he sent me for an MRI. And of course, I committed the cardinal sin, which is looking at it myself, you know, before. <laughs> I mean, this is this is what we do as doctors, right? And, uh, but, you know, I, I, I saw obviously the lesions on there, but I'm like, I don't really know how to read a braid MRI. I'm going to wait. And, uh, and the next day, you know, I, of course I was at work and he came around the corner and says, you know, do you have a place to talk? And I can see it was uncomfortable for him to have to be able to tell me this. And so I, I, I blurted it out. I said, look, I've already seen it. I know, you know, so like, let me take the pressure off you and let's talk about, you know, talk about this. Um, and then I got sent to an MS specialist. And then that, uh, that year, probably the first year and a half or so after I was on, First, just one of the new oral drugs, um, but I had I had a couple of relapses, and then I had the worst relapse was where it affected my entire right side, and I couldn't walk. You know, and so you know that had taken me out of work for about six weeks or so, um, and you know I needed physical therapy and occupational therapy for a while after that, um, but we switched you know to a different medication. And um, of course, however, it took six months for my insurance to approve the medication. I had to go through multiple appeals, you know, to get it done. And, you know, I, I learned a lot about our health system and that whole process then, you know, to be honest. 
I, uh, I had almost given up because I was just so tired, you know, of fighting with them on the phone. It's just, it's just a very frustrating process. Um, but it was very scary because I knew that if I, you know, they wanted to put me on, you know, sort of a, a lesser medication, should I say, than what I had been on before. And the one I was on before failed and put me into this relapse where I was, you know, I was that for six weeks, I couldn't, I couldn't walk. And so the, the thought of not going on treatment was, was frightening because I was really worried that one more relapse was going to take me out. You know, it was going to be the next one that was going to be the one where I was disabled and maybe not able to go back to work. And so, you know, I, I was worried. And then every single day that passed, you know, without treatment, I knew the risk of it was going up that I was going to have something happen. But every single day I was fighting with them and it was like, well, too bad, you know, basically just thanks to be you. Well, as fate would have it, you know, I, I was at work again, you know, on the phone with the insurance company and I'd finally just broken down in tears uh, because they said, no, I had my phone in my hand, literally hanging up, you know, still from that call when my next patient came in and the next patient that rolled in was 32 years old and had an out of hospital cardiac arrest. And as it turns out, when his father came in and was telling me the story, he had a patient at MS. And the patient was supposed to get started on treatment. His insurance company said no. And he got so tired of fighting the system that he gave up trying. And not only did he not get treatment, he, he, he didn't get any kind of home health or physical therapy. This poor guy, you know, spent the last three years of his life in agony. You know, he, he you know, couldn't see, he couldn't urinate very well. Um, he was falling all the time, you know, and he had no help. And what had happened was he had, he had aspirated, you know, and that's what caused him to have a cardiac arrest. And, uh, and he was of course brain dead and, and, and deceased that passed the next day. And he had had trouble with swallowing because of his MS, but you know, he took himself out of the system. So he didn't have any sort of speech therapy. He didn't have anything. And that dad, you know, sat there and cried and cried and cried. And all he kept saying to me was, I failed my son. I failed my son. I failed my son. And all I thought to myself was, you didn't fail your son. It's like our system failed our son. You know, that shouldn't have happened. You know, the, this person who spent his you know, late 20s and early 30s in other agony without help and then dies, you know, it, it just shouldn't happen. And so, you know, I had gotten involved with the MS Society pretty early on with my diagnosis because, you know, that that helped me, I'll be honest, I think it helped me more than I think I, I did anything, you know, good for the society um, because it, it was very difficult for me to talk about it. I didn't disclose it, you know, professionally, I didn't want to disclose it. I was really worried about being judged, you know, as being disabled, even if I wasn't, but getting involved with, um, you know, fundraisers and a charity really just sort of gave me a platform where I can, I can actually tell my story and I'm telling my story because it's helping other people. I'm not telling it because it's about myself and sort of using, you know, my story um, for good. And that was therapeutic to me. So, you know, after that patient passed, you know, an opportunity came up for me to go with them to Washington, D.C. to do some advocacy. Um, and so I went and, you know, we met of course, all day with with different senators, you know, um, and congressmen to tell the story. And, you know, the tour, the story I told was exactly what I told you it was about that poor gentleman that just didn't have you know, the problem was with 
you know, getting access to the medications that you need and, you know, step therapy and sort of all these things you have to go to go through with insurance companies. Um, and, and it was, I don't know if it ever did any good, but, you know, being able to go there and tell that story and tell the story about that gentleman, um, you know, was, was hopefully, you know, helpful. Um, but when that happened, you know, I said, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to try one more time. I'm going to do this appeal myself this time. And so I wrote a, a, letter, a two-page letter um, that really, you know, dissected the whole process and sort of the reason why they said no. And so one of the problems was that the, the physician, their medical director making this decision was an ER physician. So no disrespect to ER physicians, but they don't know anything about treating MS, you know, and, and the insurance company had sent me this letter, says, you know, a board certified physician decided this. And I said, well, well, well wait a minute. I said, no disrespect, but I too am board certified physician. In fact, I have four board certifications, but none of them are in neurology. You know, in the real world, you would never ask, you know, one specialist to sort of uh, go against another if it's not their field. You know, and um, and they didn't update their their protocols. And so I, so I did this whole thing and then I told them my story. And at the end of the letter, I said, OK, well, I've, I've attacked them sort of on all fronts. And but I know that there's probably going to be a doctor reading this letter. You know, at least it's another human being. And so I closed it with, you know, if you were me, if you had spent 30 years of your life preparing for a career, you know, and you were maybe one relapse away from losing that, wouldn't you be writing this letter too? I mean, wouldn't you be fighting for the best treatment possible? Um, I FedExed it to them and they told me it was like a Tuesday night. By Wednesday morning, it was approved. And so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm skipping around, but the whole process taught me a whole lot about you know, how to navigate through that and sort of where the problems are. Um, and, uh, and you know, I was able to, to be an advocate, you know, and use that story. So it was a, it was a difficult experience at the time, but it ended up being a, an enlightening one. Um, and I, you know, started on that treatment, was on it for almost five years, and I had not had a single relapse since I started it. So it was ultimately the right thing, it just took a long time getting there. Yeah. You know? What would yeah. you advise someone that's going through that process? You know, it sounds certainly like not, not giving up, you know, writing a personalized letter. Um, what are the other lessons yeah. that you learned that may help? So I'd say, you know, not giving up for sure. I, I did learn that there are um, a lot of organizations. So for example, one is the Chronic Disease Coalition, and they, they actually have examples of letters that you can write on your own behalf, you know, to insurance companies. And, you know, they, they will show you the main reasons why an insurance company would deny um, a, a treatment and, you know, to appeal it, trying to, to focus your appeal around those sort of main categories. Um, and so they give you a lot of assistance and, and a, a lot of information uh, about that. Now, I'm, I'm a physician, so I write the own letter, but my own letter, know what to put in there. But, you know, most average patients don't. But I learned this coalition does have those, those sort of examples and, and people that can help. Um, so there, there's a lot of help out there I didn't realize existed, you know. So do a good search, you know, don't give up. Um, and if you have to appeal on your home behalf, you know, do it. It, it, it matters. Now, um, how much would you estimate that you have raised for multiple sclerosis? Because I know you, you actually started your own group and, and tell us about that group and what right. that's been like. So we started um, a, a walk team, you know, just, uh, I had a friend, you know, who also has MS and, you know, she had walk team in, in New Jersey and, you know, we could do this. We, there's a lot of people in the hospital. 
Um, and, you know, that the first year we walked was in 2016. And, you know, since that time, we've raised over $100,000. Um, I think it's close to $110,000. And what's, what's been amazing about that, it's not, it, it, of course, it's, it's tremendous. I mean, how, how much money we were able to raise. I mean, just this group of people, you know, friends and family, you know, doing this. But um, it, it was amazing once we started doing that that it really became the catalyst for the conversation to start within our community. You know, so we started, I would, I would run into people, oh, you know, hey, by the way, I have it, or my mom had it, you know, or so-and-so had it. And people would start emailing me, hey, I have a friend who was just diagnosed, do you mind talking to them? And it's really just because we were doing these fundraisers, we were out and we were visible, and we we're sort of providing this platform for people to come and say, hey, me too, me too. You know, and our community is very rural, so there's a lot of you know disconnected sort of folks. Um, but so it's really been wonderful to see the whole people just come together. You know, in our community, we started a support group um, as a result of that as well. And you know, our first support group meeting, we had 26 people there, which is a lot for a support group. And I came to find out they were all actually from Colombia. You know, and I had no idea there's that many people just from our small town. Not not counting the eight counties, you know, that we cover. Um, so raising money has been great. I mean, it goes to, goes to a great cause. I think we, you know, single-handedly funded a research project, you know, just by what our team has done and the amount that we've raised. Um, but it's really the, the other, you know, effects of that that's been tremendous. And like bringing the community together, forming a support group, you know, getting involved and being able to go and do advocacy, you know, things like that, that sort of stem just from the simple act of forming a walk team. Oh, I think that's such a, a powerful lesson. And um, I actually talked to Dr. Uh, Joseph Sacron about this. He's an advocate um, in gun violence. And, uh, and he mentioned that the best thing that we can do is actually acting locally in our community. And the interesting thing is that it can be simple and it can be easy and it can be so effective, more so than what seems overwhelming of battling insurance companies and making you know changes um, in, in DC, that the fact that you were able to kind of uh, bring it to where you lived and then it mm -hmm. spread from there um, is a much easier strategy to understand and much more effective for other people to consider trying. Right. Yeah. If you've got a group of friends, it takes 10 minutes to sign up online. It's free. That's all it takes. You know, I mean, that, that's all we needed to do. And then, you know, in our community, we said, especially in, in close communities, everybody knows somebody who knows somebody, right? So when you wanted to do, say, a fundraising event, well, I know somebody who's got a venue or, hey, I know somebody who's got this. It just came together. You know, it, it, it really, um, you know, people say, gosh, you did so much work. To be honest with you, I didn't, you know. All I did was have to was be present, you know, and be there and, and everything else. It was almost like magic when the community comes together. Um, absolutely tremendous. So if anybody with their respective cause, whatever it is, you know, don't shy away from it. It doesn't take a lot. And you'd be amazed at what can actually happen. Now, when you mentioned like started a walk team, was this with a race or was this just, you know, where did they, uh, where did you start this? What do you mean by that? So there's the Walk MS, there's there, there's several events that the MS Society has. Walk MS is one, they have Bike MS, that's another. Um, walk MS Nashville is our closest one. Uh, and so it, you, it, it's all held at that point, it was held around um, Titan Stadium. They've, they've since moved it. Uh, but you register online, you try to raise, of course, as much money as you can. And when you go, you know, our team had a tent, we all met there, you know, there's, there's a one mile walk, a three mile walk, you know, people brought their dogs, they brought their families, 
yeah, it was just a fun event. And so um, every year there's one in Nashville and now it's at Centennial Park in Nashville, but most big cities have one, you know? So if you, if you go on to the MS Society website and you, you know, put in your, your zip code, they will tell you where the closest event is. Fantastic. So I'll make sure to put that uh, link on the, the show notes here. Stay tuned for part three of my interview with Dr. Mara Lip. In the meantime, check out bosssurgery.com for more information about the Boss Business of Surgery series.